Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. And Ralph, uh, if you like to talk basketball and I love to talk to guys in black and white, you're going to love this today. And I, just kind of in your honor, because did you ever receive a technical in your career? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we call them like the zebras or, the, you know, whatever. You call them the zebras with a whistle. But I, I'm sure I got a few technicals in there somewhere. Not many, but I definitely got a few at, at, at Virginia. Not many, but NBA, I got definitely quite a few well, in my I first remember, couple of years. I don't remember you getting stuck. Uh, Maybe once. It had to be once or twice at UVA. Not, not many times. I can't recall one, but I, I, I would say I had at least a couple. No, how about that? Well, anyway, today um, we're pleased to have uh, uh, Duke Etzel, who's going to be with us. And um, uh, he was actually named after Duke Snyder, you know, who played uh, with the Dodgers all those all those years. And uh, Duke uh, Duke is just a guy that I've talked to for a long time. He did a lot of educating of, of radio people, television people, and of course, players and coaches. And believe me, nobody has more stories. But his philosophy of the way he refereed and the way he managed a game is really heartfelt. And I think, uh, you know, I think officials or wannabe officials can learn a lot from Duke Etzel. Oh, it's going to be a great, great show, Mac. Uh, Duke's been uh, there and thick and thin through the beginning of, uh, not say time, but his career is, tells it for itself. So this could be a great interview and I'm and going to enjoy it because he's one of a kind. Yeah, he was the first two-time winner of the ACC Commissioner's Award for Excellence in Officiating, 24 NCAA appearances, a Final Four, eight NCAA regionals, and he is an icon, Duke Getzel, and he is next when we come back on the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court. 33! 33! No more gestures. You hear me? No more gestures. Do you hear me or not? Okay. Well, it was close. I didn't think you quite had position. I read it. I knew he was going baseline. Did you? Baseline was right over there. Almost a turnover there and leaves McKim open the step. Discover the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. Approach it like it's a job. This is an assignment. You know, this is your words on a, a videotape or a radio. We're going to be able to listen to it and grade you. Hall of Fame broadcaster Dan Patrick. Anybody can make a big game sound big. Can you make something small sound bigger? That's the challenge. From play-by-play -play to producing to anchoring, we have your invitation. You should be learning now. You should be progressing. You should be a finished product, at least to the best of your ability, by the time you've graduated. We want you already midway, if not all the way through that. So when you come out, you're ready to go and ready to get a job. The Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting is located at Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida. It's time for you to discover your next journey. We want to clean in the paint. We're going to call hand checking and body checking. And sportsmanship is an absolute must, okay? Keep your composure, all right? Things will not maybe go your way. We expect you to keep your composure. Lead your teams. You guys are leadership here, all right? Hey, you guys keep it clean. We keep it fair. Good luck tonight. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. 
Welcome in Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. This is great to be able to catch up with an old friend and a guy that uh, taught me a lot about basketball and how the how the guys in black and white actually work and communicate. He is Duke Etzel, and we gave him all the accolades in the open, so I'm going to let it go and just say, Duke, what is up? How you doing? Do you, do you wish you were officiating this year's tournament? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The game has changed so much. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a dinosaur in the terms of uh, how I, I see the way the game was played growing up. And then as I refereed it, and uh, interesting enough, last night I sat and uh, they got the ACC documentary on the ACC tournament. And uh, Ralph, you're all over it on uh, segment four, I think it is. Uh, but it just uh, just brought back a lot of great memories about how the game used to be played and how we used to referee it compared to the way it is today. Mike alluded to it. How did you teach Mike anything about basketball? What did you teach Mike about basketball? <laughs> you know, I got I got to start there first before we get to the, the guts of this thing. But he said he taught him something about basketball. I don't know what that was. Well, you know, the interesting thing, Ralph, is that um, – we Fred Barakat, who was our boss in the ACC, really uh, got us to engage with the radio guys, the, the guys who covered the teams, especially when we had controversial plays, when we had plays that needed explaining, when we may have screwed something up. So we had a great dialogue growing up with me in the ACC with all the radio guys from Mac to Johnny Holiday to um, – Woody Durham and to Bob down at the Duke. Um, so it was a situation where we tried to encompass everybody that was involved. And Fred was doing it basically to sell his program and refereeing to get them to understand who we were and that we were human. And yeah, we make mistakes, but this is why we do what we do. And this is what we're trying to send the message to the kids, the coaches and the fans. Yeah, I think it was such a, a positive thing too, Ralph. And even I tried to move a microphone over to the uh, scores bench so we could pick up a fit. You know, if there's a double technical or we're trying to explain a late score situation instead of video replay, we didn't have video replay at that time. So, uh, and I remember, and we we affectionately nicknamed him Froggy, but Dick Paparo, who you'll remember, uh, he ripped my microphone off and walked it across the table. He goes, you're not going to have a microphone in my game. And I said, this has been approved by the ACC. We asked, you know, Fred Bearcat and Brian Morrison if we could do this. He goes, not, not in my game. And I said, all right, then you got to communicate with us. If there's a play, you got to come tell us what's going on. So he was a little upset, Ralph, about that. But I, I think it was engaging now for Duke, Duke and his guys at that time to do that. Yeah, I mean, it had to be engaging because you have to uh, just understand the evolution of the game, the sport, and how it's played today. But think about it, Mike. You, you had no replay. You had no microphones. You had to know the game of basketball, you know, very intensely because if you didn't, you couldn't really do what you did all these years. And, and then uh, Duke mentioned as well that, uh, you know, he had the microphones there or, or video there. But, you know, a referee ne never made a bad call, right? The referees <laughs> never made a bad call, never never made a mistake. Well, you know, I, 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 will, I will say this. We screw up a lot. But I was always taught that to make your mistakes – of errors of omission, not commission. Meaning that if I blew the whistle, I had to be right. I can explain a non-call, a no whistle on a play 
that, you know what, one, I didn't think it was a foul or a violation. Two, I got screened when I was always taught when you blow the whistle, you have to be right. So, um, and that philosophy, I don't think carries on today, to be honest (laughs) with you. Who taught you and what inspired you to start donning the stripes and, and just become this factor in, I mean, some games that are, are bloodbaths and, and all encompassing. You know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking after talking to you yesterday, I was thinking about that and, and how it's changed today. And, and what I went through, I, I was, look, I was a division three player. I was going to play at York college and a freak accident with my brother, uh, he was a quarterback on the high school team, a junior, and I was out there running pass patterns after practice to uh, to uh, get ready for basketball season. And about a week before October 15th, I was out running and I ran a post pattern. And this is the days before pads on the goalposts. And uh, I ran a post pattern and caught the pass and ran into the goalposts <laughs> and, and, and busted open my knee. Fortunately, I didn't tear or break anything, but I had a gash that took about 20 stitches to seal up. So went into school on Monday when I went back to school, cause I was going to a local college and um, went and met with the coach. And he said, look, he said, you're a freshman, just sit out. You can come back in December or you can just sit out the whole year and take it as your red shirt year. Well, a guy from my high that refereed my high school games heard I got hurt, called me on the phone and said, did you ever think about refereeing? And I said, no, not really. Um, and he, you know, said, you know, we need new young guys getting involved. I think you'd be pretty good at it. And he said, you know, he sold me on the fact that you're playing division, going to play division three, a lot of long bus rides, mm-hmm. but this will give you a chance to stay into close to the game. So I basically, I mean, literally said, well, what do I do? And he says, write the state of Pennsylvania. They'll send you a rule book, pass the test and you're good to go. But the funny thing was those guys then sat me down a couple of them. Now, Jimmy Reif, who was in the ACC, was from York, Pennsylvania at the time. And then they basically asked me, so you want to be a college official? I said, yeah, I want to be a college official. Then this is what you're going to do. This is, and they told me, he said, we'll give you our schedules. If you want to go to the game, we'll tell you where we're meeting and what time we're meeting. If you're there, you can ride along. If you don't show up, that's fine too. But we're going to give you the opportunity to travel with us listen to us, watch us referee. And so being eight, you know, at that point, 20 years old enough, junior in college or whatever, sophomore in college, um, I didn't have anything else to do. So (laughs) I I went, I literally went and got in the car with these guys. And so I went to every game I could go to. And then the other thing that they did was they got me in every league that they could in terms of like industrial leagues and that stuff around York to said, now, if you can referee in these places where there was, it was a very uncontrolled environment. You got, you know, older guys who still think they can play and, 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 and you're in these small junior high gyms that, you know, that are cracker boxes and you rolled and two man crew and you rolled the ball on the floor. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, there's probably going to be a fight. Because you got no security, old, fight got to break out. You got ex guys who work at different plants and stuff in the area who played high school against each other who still have grudges, you know. And they literally told me if you can referee these games, you can referee anywhere. So I, you know, ended up paying my dues, and you're making 10 bucks a game. 
But, you know, back in 1976, 10 bucks a game as a college student, you work two a night on three, two nights a week. So, you know, you're picking up 40 bucks. That was pretty good money back then. And uh, that's how I learned my trade. I mean, and then, uh, then those guys got me in. I mean, I was 20 years old and they were taking me to scrimmages at Maryland with lefty and up to Penn state with Dick Carter. And they threw me out in the court and gave me a chance to learn how to referee those players and, and that style of game. So I think that's what gave me such a huge advantage when I first went to Fred's camp in 1982, uh, even though I wasn't on a college roster, basically had no college experience. I had mentally refereed probably 250, 300 college games, but also had the exposure and scrimmages and, and those things. How did a kid get into refereeing today? Because it's totally different. We mentioned the Bearcat, you mentioned all these other things, but it, it, the game has changed. So refereeing has changed as well as far as even how you get into this to, to do this. Oh, absolutely. When I started refereeing, it was an avocation for everybody. Everybody had other jobs. So, you know, whether it was a school teacher, an insurance salesman, whatever, everybody worked a separate job and you just refereed during the season. And of course, the money. I mean, I think in 1982, the game fee in the ACC, you got 300 bucks a game. You got $50 per diem and you got uh, ground mileage if it was under 150 miles from your house and you got airfare if it was over 150 miles from your house. And then Fred was the one that first started the camp business. When Fred took over in 82, um, he had knew he had an aging staff. Um, and so they had, he knew he had to try to start building a young staff. So with his, him being an ex-coach, and his ties to Howie Garfinkel, Fred started his first refereeing camp in 1982 uh, with Five Star up at Robert Morris uh, College. And um, he went to the guys on the staff and how I got, I mean, it was an invitation only thing. He went to the guys on the staff and says, do you know anybody that, that you think has Division I uh, potential? Get him to come to this camp. And there were 65 spots. And Jimmy Reif, who was on the ACC staff, who had helped me get started, called me on the phone and said, hey, you want to go to this camp? And I've got I'm absolutely I'm, I want to go anywhere I can to learn. If you've got judgment, then I can help you by getting you in better position, getting you under to understand one of the big things they used to teach us all the time was anticipate the play, not the call. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back, Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. Mac McDonald, Ralph Sampson. Duke Etzel is our guest, a 37-year basketball referee. He spent 42 years on the hardwoods, an NCAA Final Four in 02, eight NCAA regional appearances, and he is the York County Sports Hall of Fame member. we got to throw that in. Duke, it's great to have you. And um, Ralph and I always talk about communication, and we talk about the coaches. And, uh, and I know player communication while you're officiating is one thing. What about coach communication how is it important for you to establish your rapport uh, you know your rapport with uh, with coaches one of the, the the thing that one is is that was why scrimmages were so important grow, coming up through the system because it got you in front of that coach to see you work in a very non-confrontational environment 
Mm. So he could, you could go in there and he could see how hard you busted your ass running and, and, and your knowledge of the rules and things like that in a, in a very mundane atmosphere where he really wasn't paying attention to you, but he was. And it was so interesting how different coaches were. Um, you know, lefty just rolled the ball out in the middle of the floor and told the guys to play. And he just sat in the stands and watched and you scrimmaged for, you know, three twenties. And, and that was it. You went to scrimmage at Dean Smith and he'd stop every, I mean, there was no flow to it because every time you blew the whistle, he would stop and ask you for an explanation <laughs> on what you had. Um, so the, the thing was, is, is if you really break it down to the simplest thing, refereeing is all about managing 10 players and two coaches within the rules of basketball. And I say that with, and I mean it within the rules, that's how I was taught to referee. So managing people is you had to develop a rapport form. One of the things that I always did, and, and it, it was easier back then than it is now because of all the one and dones people moving all the time, you know, you had teams and guys stuck there for four years. So you got to, if you worked enough of their games and scrimmages, you got to know everybody on a first name basis. I, when they'd say Mr. Etzel, I'd say, no, my name's Duke. My dad is Mr. Etzel. So I had a first, tried to have a first name basis with the players. And even in like in games, when, when warmups would happen, I would shake the hand of every player on both teams. Cause I wanted to get a feel for how they were feeling that night. You know, is there, if they, did they give you a good hard handshake? Did they give you one of those limp ones? Do they look you in the eye when you say, good luck tonight, play well? Um, because he might be in the doghouse with the coach. He may have had a fight with his girlfriend. He may have flunked the test. And his head may not be in the game. So if I can get a sense for that before the game starts, then I know I may have to talk a little bit more to that guy to help him through the process. Um, the same way as coaches. You have to understand the coaches, the mentality of Dean, for instance, Dean never cussed coach Holland. I don't remember coach Holland ever cussing it, to be honest with you, but every other word out of Mike Krzyzewski's mouth was an F-bomb or Gary Williams. <laughs> so you got to be able to understand when they're just blowing steam or they're really trying to get a point across. And then you have to, and, and, and the rule was always, as long as you don't embarrass me, I won't embarrass you. So if I walk over and quietly, he says to me, boy, Duke, that was a blankety blank call. And it's between him and I, I may go, you know what? You're right. I got a bad look at it. Or you may, my, my favorite line was you may have had a better look at that play from, from your bench, because sometimes in basketball, the guy in the 15th row has a better look at it than we do. <laughs> and so the thing that you had to, get across to them that one, you, 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 you had to be willing to admit a mistake. Um, and that's why I was saying before about making your errors of omission, because again, when you make an error of omission and they say, Duke, I thought he got fouled, you know, Hey coach, you might be right. You know, I didn't get a great look at it. I was screened, whatever. If I blow that whistle and the replay shows that he never got touched, I can't defend that. You know, that's, I just can't defend that. And I think coaches are, they look at, 
I, I think today the, the referees are too robotic. I always had a smile on my face. I enjoyed refereeing. And the tougher the game, the harder the game, the more physical the game, man, those were the fun games. Because then your judgment became so – you had to pick your spots. Because our job was to get – you know, probably somebody would shoot me for saying this back in the day, but we had a philosophy. There's a reason they start one, two, three, four, and five, because six, seven, eight, nine, and ten aren't as good. <laughs> so the longer you can keep the, the best players in the game, the better your game's going to be. And if you look at how the game has evolved – and with the TV timeouts, when games started becoming on TV all the time, coaches started coaching in four-minute segments. And that's when the substitution patterns would come in, too. So they try to get to that first TV timeout, and then they'd make their, their substitutions, unless somebody got in quick foul trouble or something. Well, we always tried to blow past that first TV timeout, if we could, to get the guys in a flow. And then – so now – the hazard with that is then you had two quick TV timeouts back to back. But if you could knock out six or seven minutes right out of the box and get the teams playing and flowing and everything else, your game was so much better. And that was the thing that Fred as a coach brought to the table to us was about understanding the flow of the game and understanding how players are going to, especially in big games will come out so hyped up and you need to let them play through some things early to get that second win, to get their feet under them. So you can then move forward and let it go and let them play. And I think coaches appreciated that. And I think my style of refereeing helped lend. And then the plus I worked a million scrimmages because I was, I'd I'm a gym rat. So I loved going into, and I never thought I was ready for the season unless I had about 20, five scrimmages under my belt because I wanted to be the best I could be right out of the gate. Now guys use the schedule to get in shape and get right. ready. They don't work scrimmages. And so they use all those exhibition games and all you know, things like that to, to get. So it's just the whole philosophy is totally changed. Mike, it's, it's, I can recall like the Ohio state game and university hall coach Holland, the big games, because I would hyperventilate. He would call it a time out real quick to settle settle us down, right? And then we go back to playing. But the interesting thing here is that you got Mac, you got a referee of his caliber understanding the game of basketball from a ref's perspective, mm -hmm. from a player perspective, a coach's perspective, and a fan's perspective. You know, I can step in, I might get a better view. Now I can only imagine Duke, you run up down the court and the game is so fast paced. You gotta have that whistle in your mouth ready to call a, call a foul or play or walk or travel where you running full speed and the fans up there just sitting there watching. So mm -hmm. it's, it's tough on the referee to be able to do that. But it's interesting to hear this because I never really thought that a referee would understand all those perspectives except for what's going on in the court. That's a great comment, Ralph. That's a good observation. And, and nobody did it better than this guy sitting, you know, right here. So Duke, before we go to break, then answer this. When does it become personal? With the coach, you know, if 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 everybody's different, and and I and I got to say, I didn't give many technical fouls um, in the course of my career with coaches. Um, 
when they, I mean, some are just, you know, they come flying out of the box, they throw their coat off, they throw it up in the stands. I mean, that's it. I mean, Dan Monson did that. I felt bad for the guy because they were, I have him in the Big Ten ACC Challenge at Maryland. He starts off the year, he's like, oh, and, or he's lost his five in a row. He comes into mm-hmm. Maryland. They're on his butt. He's got seven, eight players dressed, and the one of his eight dressed turns his ankle in warm-ups. So now he's got seven <laughs> players. And, and you could just see he was ready to explode. We're refereeing the game, and we're not five minutes into the game, and there's a play, and it's a nothing play. And he gets up, and he takes that coat off, and he throws that coat, and I just whacked him and threw him on one. And the, he, so he left. He came over to the locker room after the game as we were walking out and said, can I speak to, to me, Duke? And um, he and he said, I want to apologize. And I looked at him and I said, coach, I know what's going on. I said, I, you know, I, I know what, what was happening. I mean, it's it's obvious. All you got to do is read about you guys. I mean, they're on your ass like it's nobody's business. And it just tonight was it was my night to be in the box with you. And I get that, and I don't have a dang problem with that. And he thanked me, gave me a hug. So, so funny, 10 years later, I go out to Long Beach State where he's coaching now to have a game with him. And when he walked on the court, thank God he had that Hawaiian shirt on like they wear out there on the (laughs) West Coast. And the first thing I said to him when I walked up and shook his hand, I said, thank God you left that sport coat in the locker room. And he just cracked up laughing. And, and so, I mean, you know, those kind of things happen. And, and again, you have to be aware of those things because coaches will do crazy things when there's certain pressures on them that is, are out of character that you would never see, but you got to be ready for it. Two weeks later, I got Duke, and I go over to shake Kay's hand before the game. When I shook his hand, I looked at him dead in the eye, and I said, you deserve to be thrown out. But the mood you were in, I didn't think you would leave. And I said, I have too much respect for you that I wasn't going to let you embarrass yourself on national television. So that's why. So you owe me one now. And he he wouldn't let go of my hand, and he says, that's why you are who you are. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back, Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. And our guest is Duke Edsel, 24 conference affiliations, Ralph, 26 Division I conference championship game appearances. The guy's been around the 02 Final Four and has uh, just had a, a wonderful career. Duke, I know it had to scare you to death. And when people say, you know, it was a life threatening experience, you had one, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, To make a long story short, I retired from refereeing at the end of the 2019 season and uh, was having some puffiness in my ankle, which I just attributed to old age because I was, what, 62, I guess. But my wife convinced me to go to the doctors and get it checked. So I went to it and he looked at it and he said, you know, I don't think it's anything serious, but just to, uh, take it out. We're going to go do a um, ultrasound on your leg to, to rule out a blood clot. Well, unfortunately for me, the ultrasound turned it into a serious thing. I had a blood clot from my ankle to my butt and they had had on it what it was called a floating tip. It's called, this thing is called deep, uh, deep vein thrombosis. And um, basically if that tip broke free, 
I was dead because it would have gone straight to the heart and it would have taken care of me. <laughs> and, uh, and I was getting ready to get in the car and drive five hours to go play golf with a bunch of buddies and my brother up in Pennsylvania. And the doctor told me point blank, if I'd have gotten that car and drove five hours, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, thankfully they got me in the wow. hospital, um, got me on blood thinners. I spent three days in there till they got it set, cleaned up. And now I get to wear, uh, compression socks all the time. <laughs> So I really looked like the old guy on the golf course in the shorts and the compression socks and uh, take my baby aspirin a day, but knock on wood, I haven't had any problems since. Oh, we're so Let's glad. call it Mike, let's call it good wife. Duke is now uh, with his website and doing a lot of stuff, um, speaking engagements, uh, you know, basketball camps and teaching the young guys. Duke, how much, uh, kind of a two-part question, how much are you coaching the young guys now from an officiating standpoint and then I understand you're working with players and teams too. And I would imagine that you're a big help to, to a lot of people in the, in the, in the game. I, I mean, I wanted to stay close to the game, but I knew I didn't want to be a supervisor. The thing that's happened in college basketball is they they keep moving towards the NBA game with their rule changes and everything else. And my philosophy is this, if you want to play, if you, and, and, and I think, Ultimately, they want one set of rules for basketball mm -hmm. instead of having separate. So if that's what you want, just change them and go there now. <laughs> don't, I mean, a nickel and dime in this stuff don't work, doesn't work in my opinion. The other thing is their philosophy about how they train referees is, like I said, they'll take a body and a guy that can run and they think they can make, they can teach you judgment by watching film and doing this and doing that. I was never a big film watcher. Fred was never a big film watcher. I think in, in the 25 years I worked for Fred in the ACC, I watched, he sent me 10 minutes of film. He always had somebody at the gym. We had observers at every game that they would give you immediate feedback after the game mm. where they'd walk in and they talk about four five, six plays. The films I watched is I watched teams play so I understood what offenses they were running, whether it was the flex that Gary ran or, you know, somebody ran a high-low post. And then I broke down individual. I just wanted to have a feel for when I walked on the floor that I knew what to anticipate was coming. Um, you know, whether a, a guy could shoot a left, he was right-handed or left-handed. Did he shoot a hook shot if he was a big guy? Or the same way the Roger Mason story, which way did he like to penetrate from? So I tried to put all that information in my head before I went into referee. So if I hadn't, in an intersectional game, I was getting somebody I didn't know. I'd make sure I'd watch a game on TV or find a tape of them to just watch them play didn't care about the referee and didn't care about anything else. Um, the thing for me, so after, I, I, when I got out of the game, when I was retired about the year before, I started thinking about what could I do to help the game? So I started talking to some of the coaches and um, about things uh, where I think that, because our communication has fallen way off the table from the time I started to where it is now with coaches and to the point that they almost don't want them talking to coaches. So we're, we're missing something. So um, I came up with this thing where um, one, I don't think we spend enough time communicating amongst the players, the coaches and the referees about how things are rule changes get put in and nobody talks about them. They just put them in and they go, they don't look at 
you know, how's this affect this or that? And they don't have anybody sitting down and talking to the kids about why the rule change was put in and what needs. And I don't think kids understand the rules. I mean, I don't think they understand. I, and I use this all the time with the kids when I talk to them, these players, whether it's high school kids, college kids, the first question I ask them, ask them to do is explain a travel. Tell me what a travel is. And, and literally I get no response. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I look at him and I go, how the hell can you play this game if you can't explain what a travel is? And then they look at me and they go, well, what do you what is it? I said, it's easy. Once you establish your pivot foot, the ball must leave your hand before the pivot foot leaves the floor. That's a trap. I said, you don't know that. I, I said, I understand because you just re, re, you react. But I wasn't a great player. And that's how I, I guess refereeing hit my blood. I had a high school coach that was unique. The first day of practice, he handed us all a rule book. And he said, read, read the rule book, and there's going to be a test tomorrow. 40 questions. I want to find out how much you really know about the game. That's how I, when I was in ninth grade, I had to open a rule book because he made us. And being not a great athlete, because uh, you've seen me run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we seen a little bit of that. <laughs> and, and, walk, um, and walk. I mean, today's game have the Euro step. So I don't know if the Euro oh, step yeah, exactly. walk, travel. I don't know what that means, Euro step. But I mean, well, I think hey, it's a walk. It is based on the rules. It's a walk. But this year, they put in a, 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 they put in the rules that they're going to allow it. The that Euro is, step. That yeah, is so, so, <laughs> so, but anyway, um, yeah, I needed to find a way to, to compete with guys who were a little bit better athletes than me. So I figured if I knew the rules better, I could take advantage of them. And, and that helped me. And so, um, but the thing is, is I was always taught that the game was played within the rules, not by the rules. And that by meaning is there's times that contact isn't always a foul. When you have two guys of equal ability, there could be some really hard contact. And back in the day in the ACC, we had that. But if the guy wasn't put at a disadvantage, then it's, it shouldn't be called a foul. We refereed with the philosophy of, of advantage, disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Now they are refereeing with the philosophy. If it's written in the book, there's no gray area. It's a foul. And... That's the easy way to bring referees around and along because you just read the book and call it the way it is. The problem is they don't call it like that. They don't referee it. Every game's different based on, cause you got three guys in there you're trying to mold. And the way it is now they're flying all over the country, refereeing every night of the week because it's a job now. And that's the thing that's changed in refereeing. 75% of the guys who referee today at the college level, the top guys, it's their job. Wow. And um, when it's your job, it's different than when it's an avocation, in my opinion. Mm. So that was the thing that I try to express to um, the young referees. I work with some guys, mostly guys who are working Division Three right now, where I will go watch them referee, give them pointers, try to give them a few tidbits. But I'd like to go sit and just watch them referee versus watching a film. I want to see them in a gym where the crowd film, you can't tell if the crowd or the coach gets to a kid because you can't see it on film. I want to sit in the gym and I want to get a feel for the atmosphere they're in, how they handle that, what the coach does. As far as the coaching side of it goes, what I, I do for the coaches is 
if you have a manager or a GA break, pick that you send me the tape and then I'll look at the plays. And if you send me 15, I'm probably going to tell you 12 of them aren't worth, just don't send them. But here's three plays that you should send in. And this is why you should send them in. This was the mistake that was made. This is the question you want to ask why, and then see what the response is. And it'll help their relationship with the supervisor because the problem now is back in the day, Fred was the supervisor of the ACC. He had eight teams, nine teams when Florida State joined. Okay. Then, and he also had the Colonial, which was only eight teams as a, a, a league. And he had the Big South, which was only eight teams. So he used the Big South to bring guys in and get them into the program teach them. And once they elevated themselves at the big South, he would move them to the colonial. And then once they made it to the colonial up into the tournament, he would bring them on to the ACC. So it, there was a program. It was, you know, you just didn't come in and get in the ACC. I mean, I did it 24, but I was an aberration because it was Fred's first year. He was looking for young guys and I was so young. I didn't have any bad habits yet. So he felt like he could teach me exactly the way he wanted me to rare. You, you were the rare breed. <laughs> and, and you know what? And timing's everything. If I don't go to that first camp, somebody else gets that spot. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so, so I don't care how good you are. At some point, you got to be a little lucky too, you know? <laughs> Is there a website? You mentioned a website. Dukeetzel.com. Dukeetzel.com. I'm going to check if, it out. Uh, if you want to learn basketball or have a guy like entertain you after a, a piece of chicken or a piece of roast beef. <laughs> yeah. uh, so when I first started refereeing, okay, Dan Woolridge told this story that he was refereeing a game with Virginia and Ralph and Dan makes the call and Ralph walks up to him and he said, like, what do you got? <laughs> what do you mean? And Dan looks right at him and goes, I think you got him. And Ralph yeah, looks right back at him and he goes, don't be thinking, be knowing. Yeah. And I'm telling you that that is the greatest line yeah. I've ever heard from a yeah. player back to a referee in the history of basketball, because it's so correct yes. that don't be thinking, be knowing. And so I didn't know if that was a real true story. So now I, I get a chance to prove I it. Recall, I kind of, I kind of, it's real. I think it's real. I recall something like that early on in my <laughs> college career for sure. Duke, thank you so much. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to talk to both of you guys. Uh, Ralph, it was, I never got, other than a scrimmage, I never got to referee you other than a scrimmage, but a great admirer of your talent and what you did for the league. And it, it just, uh, it made being in the ACC as a referee special to know guys like you played in. Thank you uh, so much. Great stuff. Appreciate it. Duke Etzel, one of the greats in uh, 37 years officiating NCAA D1 basketball. Ralph and I come back on center court right after this. A bold new experience is coming to Charlottesville. Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson is opening the American Tap Room. It's an upscale sports bar brought to you by the basketball legend himself. Ralph Sampson's American Tap Room has been built in the spirit of competition with everything from burgers and wings to premium steaks and seafood. The Tap Room also features a special Ralph's House IPA made by the Three Knots Brewing Company. With the grand opening just a couple weeks away, now is your chance to join Ralph's team and get in on the ground floor of the American Tap Room launch. 
Whether you're traveling for the game and looking for that special pregame meal or meeting that important client, Ralph's American Tap Room is in a terrific location in Barracks Road off of Emmett Street. Discover Hall of Fame greatness. Log on to americantaproom.com. Well, if you broke down Roger Mason's tape, every time Roger Mason would drive to the right, put the ball on the floor and go to the right, he would go to the basket almost 90, over 90% <laughs> of the time. But if he went to the left, he would take a couple dribbles and pull up and shoot a jump shot. That was his move. Well, if I know that going into the game and he gets the ball out on the wing, depending on which way he goes, I can anticipate what he's going to do because of having the knowledge of how he plays the game. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back, Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. Ralph, I don't know about you. I'm worn out. (laughs) (laughs) How how good was he? I mean, like you said, we could have stayed on there for a couple hours talking to him with all the stories. And I mean, you, you 30, 30 some plus years and started when he was young, young guy. I mean, you got to have stories, right? I mean, imagine Mac just refereeing the ACC and all the players that he had a chance to ref and all the stories and all the relationships that built. I mean, we, we will have to do that again because the story has got to be really good. Yeah, would you? How would you rate your relationships with the guys in black and white? Uh, they, they were good. I mean, you know, I commend the Joe Forte and uh, you know the Jess Curdy in the NBA and and uh, Daryl Garrison, all the guys there. I mean, NBA, you could you you got a relationship with because you saw them a little bit more uh, on the circuit as well. But college, you would see them, and uh, you didn't really understand because you were young. You don't understand the relationship with the ref, but over the years, you got to build a relationship with those guys. And you understand they're people too. They're just doing a job to keep the game flowing. As Duke said, whatever, they're in there keeping the game flowing and moving and grooving a little bit so that we can have the flow of the game. Don't want to call fouls early. You know, don't want to interrupt the game. Just let the game go. And uh, his approach is amazing to me. I noticed you didn't say anything about Lenny Wirtz, so we'll just we'll just no, keep I didn't, that. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do the short mind my, my, Lenny Wirtz. I didn't do Lenny. No. All right. Uh, coming up, March twenty sixth and twenty seventh, you've got a pretty big event. What at the uh, Horizons Edge? Yeah, we got uh, the Big Shot Ralph Sampson uh, uh, tournament. Uh, we got a lot of teams signing up. If you want to sign up, you can go to SampsonBasketballAcademy.com or BigShots.com. Sign your team up, but uh, we're getting close to capacity now, Max. So it's going to be fun to get back in the gym and see these teams come from all over and play against each other. And I'm getting more excited about that than anything right now because kids can come out and watch and play and I can be involved at this one. And, you know, Mac, the big shot is run by Jeff Snyder. He played at Virginia mm-hmm. Tech. Yeah. And so we, we built a relationship over the years and he's done a phenomenal job with what he's doing with kids all over the country. All right. It's tournament week. I'll probably call you just to get a little edge since we're talking to get a little edge on my bracket. Okay. Can you help me with that? Yeah, I can help. I can help. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting tournament. So, you know, ACC be good. and all these other tournaments coming. So it's going to be fun next week. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald and that's center court for this week on the winner's circle network brought to you in part by Ralph Sampson's American tap room. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network 
at BLEAV.com. CenterCourt is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.